Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of November 27, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a very condensed week where we were closed on Thursday. We had a short day on Friday, and even when you look at the tape for the week, Wednesday's action, Tuesday's action, and some of the out-of-office responses you get on email, there just wasn't a lot of folks in the market actively trading. In fact, we had just 375 million or so shares traded across the select sector spider lineup, which is roughly a third of what we get on a very robust week. That might be overstating it, but the point is is that there wasn't a lot of economic data. There wasn't a lot of market action. The S&P 500 finished the week 1% higher, which brings the year-to-date gain to 18.75%. But all in all, not a ton to talk about from the economic data or the earnings we heard about this week, but I'll do my best. And when I say I'll do my best, let's just look at what I thought was the most interesting data point, which actually printed on Monday when a lot of people were still working and in the office. And we got an LEI print that was really sort of in line with what we've seen now over the course of the past year and a half from the leading economic indicators index. And within that report, we saw that We've now gone 22 months since the peak in LEIs. The average historically is about 10 months between that peak and a recession. And again, I'm not in a position to call whether or not we're going to have a recession, when that recession is going to take place, what the shape of that recession will be. But I'll lean on folks who are much smarter than me. And Justina Zabinska-Lamonica, Senior Manager, Business Cycle Indicators at the Conference Board, had this to say in the report. The U.S. LEI trajectory remained negative, and its 6- and 12-month growth rates also held in negative territory in October. She continued, among the leading indicators, deteriorating consumers' expectations for business conditions, lower ISM index of new orders, falling equities, and tighter credit conditions drove the index's most recent decline. After a pause in September, the LEI resumes signaling recession in the near term. The conference board expects elevated inflation, high interest rates, and contracting consumer spending due to depleting pandemic saving and mandatory student loan repayments to tip the U.S. economy into a very short recession. We forecast that real GDP will expand by just 0.8% in 2024. So they're not predicting a deep and prolonged recession. They're just saying some of these economic dynamics that we spend so much time talking about on this podcast week to week are ultimately going to be the undoing of GDP growth in 2024, tipping this economy into what could be a shallow and short recession. Now, 0.8 for real GDP in 2024 is quite a contrast to what we saw this past quarter. And I think it's reflective of the fact that some of this economic dynamic that we're talking about, specifically higher interest rates, has yet to sort of fully work itself through the economic backdrop and make its way to companies in the small and mid-cap sector who need to refinance, make its way into the real estate sector, make its way into the consumer sector 
in the form of higher mortgage rates, in the form of higher borrowing costs for all things, including credit card debt. And of course, with people having to now pay back their student loans, the idea is all of those forces are going to undermine consumer spending in 2024 and beyond. That remains to be seen. And ultimately, we could get a meaningful change in the fiscal backdrop, in the policy backdrop as it relates to some of those dynamics, but we'll see. And consumer sentiment last week was actually better than expected. So that was a slightly positive economic indicator, at least in terms of where the consumer is and where the consumer expects the economy to go. Existing home sales was a slight miss. We got flash PMIs on Friday. Again, a lot of people were out, but services was higher than expected, manufacturing weaker than expected, kind of in line with what we've been talking about and what we've been seeing. So again, a week in which the S&P 500 is up 1%. Now, up again, nearly 20% year-to-date, 18.75%. To be specific, healthcare, best-performing sector last week, 2.24%. Energy, the worst-performing sector, up just 30 basis points. So that means all 11 gig sectors finished the week higher. The leadership, XLK, technology, up 88%. Communication services, up 1.27%. And consumer discretionary, up 0.66%. Staples, up 1.32% on the other side of that consumer trade. So when you look at it from a sector performance perspective, healthcare popping this week is interesting because, as we've talked about, healthcare has been one of the laggards in the market. XLRE following through on a strong week previously, up 97 basis points, so right around the market's performance. And then we did see some redemption activity. One million plus shares redeemed out of XLV, XLP, and XLU, those three defensive sectors. So whether or not that's a model rotation or someone repositioning or even tax loss harvesting out of those defensive sectors that have lagged the market is in contrast to where we saw overall creation activity. 7.8 million shares net created this past week across the select sector spider lineup, 8 million shares in XLF alone, and then 2.2 million shares created in XLI or industrial. So pretty muted action from a volume perspective, from a creation and redemption perspective, understandable considering so many people were out celebrating the holiday. Before I go any further, I do want to say, hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and were able to spend it with family and friends. We're safe and healthy and ate a lot of food, not just on Thursday, but the next day as well, because, of course, Thanksgiving leftovers are, in my opinion, perhaps the best part of the Thanksgiving holiday outside, of course, of spending time with loved ones. Now, looking ahead, let's do a sector in focus this week. And instead of just focusing on one sector, I wanted to borrow from our friends at Ned Davis, who did a webcast on this last year, I believe, and it's applying a factor framework while using sectors, which for some people might sound like an oxymoron because oftentimes the messaging around sectors, certainly from the select sector spider team, is sectors are a better framework for looking at, analyzing, and investing in the market than the style box, something I believe wholeheartedly. Wrote a paper on it back at ETF.com, have spent a lot of my career espousing this concept, but, and this is an important but, there are distinctions among these sectors in terms of the factor exposure you get. And I'm just going to run through some examples. So, for example, if you're in technology, 28% of the market by weight, give or take, at least relative to the S&P 500, and Let's say you're overweight technology 
and you have other portfolios, other exposures that add on to or tack on to your technology exposure, or let's say you're using some index-based product focusing on the NASDAQ, which has outsized exposure to communication services, technology, and consumer discretionary by nature, because those big companies in that index are dominated by companies in those three sectors. Well, if you look at technology relative to the S&P 500, it has significantly less value exposure. It has more growth. It has more quality. It has more momentum. And it has a size bias. On the flip side, if you look at a sector like healthcare, best performing sector this past week, well, it is underweight growth from a factor, factor perspective. It is overweight low volatility from a factor perspective. It is underweight momentum. And that is reflective of the fact that healthcare, because it's lagged the market, doesn't show up in a lot of momentum portfolios because its momentum has been poor so far in 2023. That can change in an environment where healthcare is outperforming the market. Another example, communication services, underweight dividend yield, underweight growth, underweight low vol, underweight quality relative to the S&P 500. So the point here is that you can turn dials from a risk perspective, from a factor perspective, from a style perspective using sectors. So it doesn't just have to be about the economic implications and the economic exposures of the 11 gig sectors in the market when you're trying to reconfigure your portfolios into year end and with a 2024 outlook. You can go through your exposures in the equity sleeve of your asset allocation and determine that your overweight growth or underweight quality or overweight size or underweight dividend yield and use sectors which have more or less exposure to those given factors as a way to bring that market portfolio back in line with your objectives and more specifically your client objectives. Just another way to think about sector exposures sector portfolios and applications in a portfolio context. And one of the reasons why we are here at the Select Sector Spiders team so passionate about the sector framework, because they are such simple tools, companies grouped together by what they do and how they earn their money, but they're also just so infinitely applicable to a myriad of portfolio contexts. They're flexible and importantly, they're straightforward, they're understandable, and you can use them in so many different compelling ways. And so this week, instead of digging into an individual sector, the idea of using sectors in a factor framework, we think is another powerful use case for a product suite that is near and dear to our hearts. Looking ahead to next week on the economic data front, we're going to get new home sales, pending home sales, as well as Case Shiller. So textured perspective on the housing market, which, of course, will continue to be an important economic dynamic as it relates to the impact of rising interest rates, as we talked about at the top of the podcast. We'll also get consumer confidence. So we'll see if that builds on the consumer sentiment number that we got last week. We'll get revised GDP. And then we'll get the Fed's favorite indicator of inflation, PCE. So we're getting quite a bit of economic data in key segments of the market, including a comprehensive look at GDP, revised, of course, comprehensive look at the housing market, and then some inflation data, which is really relevant to Fed policy. Against all of that, we're going to hear from, once again, 
multiple Fed governors and presidents talking about the market, talking about the economy, talking about the policy, all of which will culminate with Mr. Powell on Friday, who will be speaking. And I'm sure his presentation, as always, will be picked apart by the market and digested for what proves to be a really interesting week coming off of a condensed week. On the earnings front, we just have nine companies reporting next week. CRM or Salesforce is really the only company that sticks out to me. We've got four different tech companies in addition to CRM reporting. We've got some Staples companies, including Kroger, which of course are important companies in an important sector of the market, especially at this point in the economic cycle, assuming of course that the conference board is correct and we're going to have some version of a recession in 2024. But The point is, is that we're at the end of earnings season. We're going to be rolling over once again in the coming weeks and months into a new earnings cycle, and we'll get much more impactful companies at that point in time. And in the meantime, the countdown to the end of the year, and specifically the Christmas holiday and other holidays that folks celebrate, is on. And we've got a month or so of 2023 left to not only do business, to invest in the market, to reposition, to analyze, and to understand how these economic dynamics will impact our portfolios. And hopefully, this podcast, among other resources, at sectorspiders.com will help you on that path. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. Hope everyone has a wonderful week. We'll catch you next time. And as always, visit sectorspiders.com for all things you need related to sectors. Take care.